0: Please leave me a rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. Thank you. My guest today is a storyteller, Robert Hale. He uh, ran away from home when he was 12 and joined the circus. He's got a lot more stories on Minnesota Storybook, the podcast. Also, he writes books.
1: And the, uh, the VFW, I got spit on by the VFW people. See, you have to understand, when when we were there, it was right after Martin Luther King got killed and Robert Kennedy got killed. The day he's getting out of jail, he's packing up all his clothes and, and uh, saying goodbye to his uh, jailmates and stuff, and he has a heart attack and dies. Right and the I was in Colombia and Ecuador during the 70s when they grew when the CIA was down there too. And they were all sick of eating um, bass and uh, muskrats and whatever else. So they just, off the dog and put them
0: in the pot. Today's interview was great. Robert Hale is a wonderful man and he gives me hope that someday I'll chill out and exude the same peace that he does. But not peace through aversion, aversion of hate or violence, He doesn't sequester himself from the sadness and evil of the world. He lives with it the way that we all do. But he lives with it without letting the hate and stupidity elbow out all the great things. But if you heard his experimental music, you may not think he was such a peaceful dude. But he's not this experimental in his storytelling. In this interview, we talk about his time in the Vietnam War, PTSD, America's imperialistic tendencies, and St. Paul of Old at St. Paul, Minnesota. And much, much more. Actually, not much more because this is a relatively short show. Anyway, here's the theme song. Good, do you still like groundhogs?
1: I love groundhogs. One afternoon, I was sitting out there on my next to my garden, admiring the eggplants, and all of a sudden, I saw I saw the eggplants jiggling, just moving, and there was no wind. So, I'm going, What the (laughs) is this? Then the next one went,
0: and I went, What the hell is going on?
1: What? The groundhogs were eating the garden from underneath.
0: <laughs> I think that is as good of a intro as we can get. This um, <laughs> this shows your your character and temperament fairly well as a storyteller. My guest today is Robert Hale. This is your eulogy, the podcast where we talk to someone about their life so that we can talk about their death. Robert Hale is a storyteller, mu- writer, musician. I didn't write a good intro for this episode because I was busy editing another episode that I thought was more important, at least subconsciously I did. But that's silly because as soon as I began my research, I saw that Robert Hale is an interesting, considerate, and well-rounded, well-traveled, and well-meaning man. His books include Frogtown Fade In, Walk Softly, Eat With Small Sticks, and Wake Up the Night. Well, I have... uh... I don't know, it's kind of a weird perspective
1: on death. I kind of feel it's kind of a natural progression of your life. But I just kind of feel, I just feel like it was their, that was part of their life, you know? Your, Your death is part of your life as well as...
0: Yeah, has this been a perspective you've always had? Or is this just, you know, comes with age? I think it's kind of evolved with age.
1: Uh, but also, I, I, when I was in, living in Asia, I kind of absorbed Buddhism.
0: When you say living in Asia, is this uh, after the war? No drin Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. It was one day it hit me. I saw the, I had in my mind, I, I had this picture of, you know the bloody. My grandmother used to have this bloody crucifix that had was Jesus on the cross with blood coming out every orifice and everything, and just up on the cross like that. And, I, and that that shifted into my mind, and then I saw the Buddha face, all the Buddhist temples that I was hanging around in and stuff, and I just went, "This is different." This, is, I said, I think I'm more side of things than I am on this side of things. Three weeks after I got to Vietnam, my whole perspective changed. I became very anti-war, anti-military, what the military was doing. And my whole perspective on life started to change. Whereas, by the time I left, it was my—I was looking at life as the complete inverse of what I went in there looking at it.
0: After the interview, Robert told me some of his ideas about what PTSD can be culturally, and also as the um, as the medical condition it is.
1: I to me the when I look back at it now and when I see the problems that people have with PTSD that coming back from wars and stuff is people try to be the same person they were when they left. And you never fit into that. You can never fit into that. You can't go back. You have to like re it's like find refinding your place in society. Um, because you can't, you can't go back into the thing you were before you left, you know? And so many people try to do that. I know it's not, I mean, I was lucky because I was, you know, 19, 20 years old and I had no family, I mean, no husband and no wife and kids and stuff to do it. But, um, but it's really hard to just go fit. You put, Okay, here I am and back, everything is just the way it was, you know, let's pretend it's the way it was when I left. It takes a while to, it took me about six months after I was back before I realized that I got to get out of here. (laughs) So I went and lived in the mountains in Colorado for five years. Mm. I kind of capture what um, I was. I was very lucky. I had a great aunt in my family who was the family story story catcher, and she remembered every story and and was the keeper of the family. And she told all the stories. With um, one of the stories was about her husband. She was a bootlegger during the nineteen twenties, and her husband was arrested by was he ran a bootlegger bootleg. Um, they called it a soda shop. It was right down on Dale and Thomas. And the uh, feds invaded invaded it one day, and they were looking for the owner. They wanted to make a big bust because they are out for bribes, basically. And he just told them to, you know, go to hell. And so they beat him to death. And... Uh, he's was, right right there and then? Right, well, they beat him... Basically to death, and then they threw him in jail, and he was having convulsions. So they took him to the hospital, where he died. But um, and it was it was like typical. It was like a really typical thing where his it was it made the front page of the. I went and looked it up. I went uh, to verify all these stories. I was told I went into the newspapers and verified them. And sure enough, I got a copy of the newspaper with the headlines, right? You know, big high print man beaten to death by feds, you know. And every day I kept moving a page back in the paper (laughs) until it finally faded off. And then the stock market crashed. Then that was the big story, and all the other stories were minuscule compared to that, so...
0: In your book Frogtown Fade In, it's a collection of stories from your family or that have been passed down. And one of them involves eating a neighbor's dog. Mm-hmm. Can you give us any details on that?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a family favorite. Um, my great uncle, his name was Boli. he was born in the Czech Republic. And he made a living by doing various itinerant things like uh, chopping ice out of the lakes for ice cubes or for ice block for heat refrigerators. This is all this is during the depression, Great Depression, 1930, something. But they were eating, they were down to eating everything right out of the lake. And um, the story goes that one day the neighbor's dog came walking into the midst of them sitting around a fire. And they were all sick of eating um, bass and uh, muskrats and whatever else, so they just off the
0: dog and put them in the pot. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, you know, under that context, I it doesn't seem as crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But the name of the, the name of the person's dog it was Bush Hager was <laughs> the name of the person that owned the dog.
0: Oh, I thought that was the name of the dog and I was like it's <laughs> an advanced name for a dog.
1: But the but in the family, whenever somebody would say, Well, I remember Bush Hager's dog, you know, and everybody go, Oh. <laughs> yeah. My father's father, who he never knew. He ran away, uh, he disappeared from the family right after my father was born. Mm. And we could never, nobody ever knew where he was. They thought he died. And um, when I published my book online, somebody sent me an email saying, We're related. And he, it was my father's, it was my grandfather's, the long lost grandfather's uh, son. And it turns out he had... This guy had
0: families all over
1: the West Coast. He had like seven or eight families.
0: The the phantom patriarch that, yeah. that left... Um, wait, so that was your... My grandfather. Your grandfather.
1: So that was an interesting story.
0: Wow. And it turns
1: out he was really a mean drunk. And... Um, but, of course, my father died, you know, 20 years ago, so he never knew. He was, didn't... But, but it was my... Uh, I just having to think. God, I'd love to show him the picture of his father. You know that, that he'd never know. He'd never known. I had my DNA done with Twenty Three and Me, and this guy did too. And it, we came up as
0: <laughs> close relationships. So it's verified. So verified. You know. Um, do you have any children? Yes, I have a son. What does your image of fatherhood? How has it changed? Um, yeah do you, do you have any feelings or opinions on that?
1: Well, for one thing it's the it's the biggest thing in my life that ever happened that I think it's been the most rewarding thing of
0: of anything I've done in my life. could you- could you ever imagine just leaving it and starting fifteen more with a bunch of <laughs> families across America no. <laughs> for one thing. <laughs>
1: For one thing, you you couldn't do it th- these days. <laughs> I mean you got even you can, I can you can find anybody but um parenthood, yeah, it's been a big thing, and I especially didn't want to be like my father. He was a kind of a mean drunk. So you kind of learn from your parents what you don't want what you don't want to inflict on your kids. yeah, you
0: know? do you drink?
1: Sometimes. I just don't like feeling drunk. I don't like the feeling of
0: uh,
1: you know, being cloudy in the morning. (laughs)
0: That's true. I I didn't drink for five years and I just started again. And I used to drink all the time. That's why I stopped because I remember it being really great. (laughs) Maybe just physically a lot has changed in five years, but I found like I start to feel hungover even before I'm done drinking now. <laughs> like.
1: And he lived in a, a mining town called Mineral Point, Wisconsin in southern, southern Wisconsin. And it was a lead mining town. And the mines were all um, going dry. And so he... Didn't see any future for himself in Mineral Point, Wisconsin, so he went and ran, joined the Ringling Brothers Circus, and he became the Wild Man from Borneo. And he—they put a wig on him and put him in a cage and drove him around, and he'd, you know, shake the bars and try to scare kids and stuff.
0: And he—I think nobody knew what people from Borneo <laughs> knew anything about it, so I guess it worked. If you know anything about Borneo, it's not like that.
1: There's no wild men there. <laughs> but he, he became a veterinarian while he was in the circus. He learned how to take care of the animals. And so when he quit being the wild man from Borneo, he moved up to North Dakota, to Fargo, and became a veterinarian, and eventually became the chief of police in Fargo. And his wife left him, Sometime during that time, and he just became incensed and with jealousy and raging jealousy. So he followed her one night. He brought a shotgun and followed her to uh, her lover's house and shot the guy through the window, through the, through the glass window in the house and wounded him pretty bad. And he got sent to prison for uh, two years, Stillwater Prison, because was, it was in Moorhead, Minnesota. The day he's getting out of jail, he's packing up all his clothes and and uh, saying goodbye to his uh, jailmates and stuff, and he has a heart attack and dies right on the spot. And that I verified in the newspaper, too. There's a whole article <laughs> in, the, in the Fargo newspaper about it. There's a picture of him sitting there. Sure enough, he's the sheriff, you know, and so there's some crazy people in my family.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean that, with as little as offense as I can give, <laughs> to verify that claim. So on this podcast, we it's kind of structured around. At the end, we do a eulogy of sorts, something, um, parting words. Um, do you have anything in mind? Yes, I do. Let's see if I can find it in my pocket here.
1: <laughs> this
0: is for the radio. Yes, so thank, thank you for... <laughs> you're an excellent, uh, was it, folio, folio <laughs> artist? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh... So here's my eulogy that I came up with today. Robert Hale, born February 9th, 1950, exited the stage to be determined. A crusader till the end. Death smiles at us all. All we can do is smile back. That was from Marcus Aurelius said that results from the movie the gladiator. Uh. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. Robert has written his tales for us to be read at roberthale.com on the web. Until next time.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. Well, thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Sharing a couple of your, your stories and bit of your life. Uh, like you said, roberthale.com has uh, your books. minnesotastorybook.com is the website for the podcast. You can find the podcast on iTunes. That's where I found it. Um, and this has been Your Eulogy. My name is Matthew Schneeman. If you have any questions, you can email me at your mail at gmail.com. That's all I've got. Well, it's not all I've got. It's (laughs) for today. (laughs) For the episode.